Hey everyone, this is Stefan Miller and welcome to The Forever Student. We're very excited about our next guest. She is a mother, a researcher, and the author of The Calcium Connection. She's here today to share her discovery and give you cutting edge information about calcium ATPase to make a positive impact on your life. Ronde Brody, welcome to The Forever Student. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Glad to be here. Super excited to have you here. And the first thing we want to jump into is what is calcium and why is it important? Sure. So um, just at the very fundamental level, calcium is an element that you probably would remember from studying the periodic table in chemistry. But just other than that, it's in the Earth's crust. But relevant to our discussion, there's about 2.2 pounds of calcium in our body. And most of that is concentrated in our bones, teeth, and ligaments, which is probably the calcium you're familiar with. But there's also a small amount of calcium, just a teaspoon and a quarter, that's actually in your blood and your cells. And the reason why this is matters or is important is, is because the rise and fall of calcium levels within your cells actually controls every single cell function in your body. So you can think about it that needs to be very tightly regulated. It's kind of like the traffic signals in a city. If they're not working properly, there's going to be a lot of pandemonium, a lot of problems. So this calcium regulation is crucial to your health. And when it's not working properly, you're much more susceptible to all sorts of diseases, such as diabetes, obesity, cancer, heart disease, pretty much anything you can think of this bad um, can be, you're more susceptible if your calcium regulation within your cells is not working properly. And so why are you so passionate about this? Where did that start? Well, it certainly wasn't planned. Um, my background is in finance, and I spent most of my adult life in finance. Um, but my son was born, Canute, with a lot of different health issues, including breathing, swallowing, muscles, sleep, skin. And so I couldn't find any answers, even though the medical community wanted to help. They were not able to tell me what was happening or come up with a way to fix it. So out of desperation, I dived into the research and kind of through a long winding path that began with muscles, um, I came across or began to understand the importance of calcium regulation within the cells. And after that, I was able to determine how to manage that in my son, who his symptoms were were addressed and he's doing well. And then I began to understand how important calcium regulation is to every human being on earth. And like I said, it's because it's the traffic signal that controls all cell functions. So I ended up over almost the last 20 years and <laughs> looking at the 25,000 articles about calcium regulation. And at the end of the day, I could see it was related to all these chronic diseases. I could see there was things we could do to help regulate it. And then it became my life's mission to get that out. In, in addition to that, I am involved with a biotech company whose mission it is to develop 
drugs that help this particular part of our body calcium regulation, which has already been fruitful in terms of Alzheimer's, diabetes, um, heart problems. So, so right now I'm dedicated to getting the, the word out about calcium regulation because it's important for everybody. So is, is calcium regulation the same thing as, as calcium ATPase or is that different? If it's different, what is calcium ATPase and, and what does it do and, and how does it work? That's a really good question. So calcium ATPase is the primary way the body regulates calcium within the cell. And just so you don't get intimidated, ATPase just means that it runs off the fuel of the body, which is ATP. So the, the full name is calcium ATPase. And why it's so important is that calcium levels rise in the cell to trigger events, but then they need to be returned to the baseline. And calcium ATPase is the way the body does this. So after calcium levels rise, when they need to fall, calcium ATPase pumps calcium from the cell into these storage compartments within the cell. So it basically does two things. It reduces the calcium levels, which need to happen, but also just as importantly, it puts calcium in these storage compartments that can be used in the future. So calcium ATPase is the body's primary way to regulate intracellular calcium, which is why my book is focused on that particular enzyme. And how can we understand our levels of calcium ATPase in our own bodies? So strangely enough, um, despite there being 25,000 scientific research articles um, discussing the importance of calcium ATPase in health, there's currently not a test that you can get done when you go to the doctor for your calcium ATPase levels. However, I am working on that. So hopefully that's on the horizon. <clears throat> but in the meantime, there are a couple of approximations that you can use to get a sense of your calcium ATPase levels. One of those is a test that's often done, which is called the A1C levels. And basically that's a test for blood sugar over time. And what they found is that A1C levels are inversely correlated with calcium ATPase. So if you have high A1C levels, it's likely your calcium ATPase levels are low. Another um, marker is LDL cholesterol. Um, LDL cholesterol, when it's high, is usually associated with low calcium ATPase levels. And finally, obesity is inversely correlated with calcium ATPase levels. So the more obesity you have, in all likelihood, the lower your calcium ATPase levels are. Can we can we dive a little bit deeper into specifically the disease aspect of this and how calcium ATPase is linked to uh, linked to specific diseases that that you write write about pretty extensively? I think in your in your book. Sure. So just as an overview, when calcium ATPase levels are reduced it causes problems from your head to your toes. So let me start with something kind of as basic as obesity and diabetes. 
So calcium ATPase plays a large role in metabolism. It's kind of a complicated process, but the net-net is that calcium ATPase is responsible for 15% of your metabolic rate. So if you have low calcium ATPase, that's gonna have a negative impact on your metabolic rate, which can push you over the edge to obesity. So kind of, kind of stepping on the stone of that, um, there's diabetes. And it's kind of a double whammy because low calcium ATPase inhibits insulin production and actually results in pancreatic cell death, which are the cells that produce insulin. So that's one part of it. The second part is that these high blood sugar levels that result from the reduced insulin production actually have a negative impact on calcium ATPase throughout the body. And that is where with diabetes, you'll often see problems with the heart, with the liver, with the eyes, with the blood vessels, with the nerves. And what drives that is the reduced calcium ATPase that occurs because of high blood sugar. So those are two kind of foundational aspects in terms of obesity and diabetes. I could talk for the rest of the hour <laughs> about how calcium ATPase low levels are have an impact on all sorts of diseases. So I'll let you guide me in terms of which, which ones are interesting to you. Um, I certainly could talk about all of them. I think we can dive a little bit further into, into diabetes. I think that'll be really interesting. Okay, so... So what happens with diabetes is that the pancreatic cells are responsible for insulin production. And what triggers insulin production is the amount of calcium in these storage vesicles. Like I spoke about, calcium ATPase pumps the calcium into the storage vesicles. So the storage vesicles have kind of a fancy name. I don't want you to be overwhelmed by it, but they're called the endoplasmic reticulum. And what happens if there's low calcium ATPase, there's not enough calcium pumped into the endoplasmic reticulum. And the endoplasmic reticulum is where insulin is produced. So just like if you're stressed, you're not able to be as efficient or productive as you would be if you weren't stressed, when the endoplasmic reticulum doesn't have enough calcium, in its stores, something happens called endoplasmic reticulum stress. And that endoplasmic reticulum stress reduces the ability to make insulin. And what happens is it produces insulin that's too immature, that has defects, that has all sorts of problems, which ends up causing high blood sugar and everything that comes after that. In addition, Endoplasmic reticulum stress also can lead to cell death, which is where the death of pancreatic cells comes into it. So it has two negative effects. One is reduced insulin production. And the second thing it can lead to is pancreatic cell death, which of course only complicates the issue. There's less cells that make insulin. From your research, which is extremely extensive on this particular topic and the topics surrounding it, what other surprising findings have you found? 
Well, I mean, just the basic level of how important, there's a lot of different issues, but one is how important calcium ATPase is to brain health. And that begins um, in the prenatal period. Um, In fact, researchers have found when the calcium ATPase levels are lowered in the prenatal period, there's not as much neurite growth or complexity or pathways formed. Um, So it's very important even in the prenatal period to have adequate calcium ATPase. And the things that get in the way of that are things like mercury, excessive alcohol, lead, et cetera. And then it spans until until the later years when calcium ATPase um, has a critical role in dementia and things like Alzheimer's because when you don't have enough calcium ATPase, your calcium levels are not regulated properly, which leads to all these different problems with brain function. So one of the surprising things was how important calcium ATPase is from before you're born until you're in your latest years. And how can we go about increasing or protecting the levels of calcium ATPase in our bodies? I think let's start with with increasing. Okay, so in terms of increasing your calcium ATPase levels, there is research that has some, some hopeful, positive activities you can take on. And one is there are particular foods that actually contain compounds that that stimulate calcium ATPase. And the good news is they're not, they're not exotic. They're probably things you have every day. But what's good to know is that you definitely should try to include these on a regular basis. And that can include or does include things like berries. I'm talking about strawberries, blackberries, blueberries, raspberries, um, nuts, such as almonds, pecans, pine nuts, um, pecans, um, vegetables, such as tomatoes, especially cooked tomatoes, um, red kale, uh, spinach, in terms of other fruits, like pomegranates, um, and also olive oil. So those are some really basic foods that are likely already in your diet. But what I suggest is that you build those into your diet kind of a predictable way. Like, for example, for breakfast, always include berries. For a snack, always include some nuts. Um, So at least on those two, in those two particular areas, every day you're getting those calcium ATPase booster foods. Another two areas where you can actually stimulate calcium ATPase or or uh, encourage it, and one is exercise. And I know there's lots of reasons to exercise for your mood, for all sorts of reasons, weight loss. But this is just another reason why exercise is good. And the great news is it doesn't really matter what kind. It can be moderate aerobics. It can be high intensity training, it can be strength training. But what's so wonderful is that that can stimulate calcium ATPase both in your muscles and in your heart. And actually as you age, calcium ATPase levels decline in everybody in their muscles. But even with older people, when they do strength training three times a week, their calcium ATPase levels um, rise up to the levels of a younger person. 
Um, the third thing um, is meditation and mindfulness. I know, again, that's something that comes up time after time. There's so many beneficial uh, aspects of that for all sorts of things, but I'm just going to give you one reason to do it as related to calcium ATPase. Um, stress causes the release of hormones, and some of these hormones actually inhibit calcium ATPase. But what's also wonderful is that different mindfulness approaches, such as meditation, yoga, a lot of the Asian, Tai Chi, and those type of things have actually been shown, I mean, research is not just theoretical, and research studies to reduce these hormones that have a negative impact on calcium ATPase. So when you're doing yoga or meditation, in addition to all the other positive benefits, you can say to yourself, this is also good for my calcium ATPase <laughs> levels. And have you, have you yourself made any significant lifestyle changes after understanding and having gone through your research? Yeah, I mean, for the first, sadly to say, for the first five years or so, I was really focused on my son and actually did not do the things that I knew were important to do. It was really only after he got old enough to where he didn't need me all the time that I began thinking about the changes I needed to make in my own life. And kind of the conclusion I came to is you don't have to do everything all the time to have an impact on calcium ATPase. I mean, I actually have five different clear jars in my office, which represent five different areas I'm working on. And one of them is calcium ATPase. And every morning I think about the day before and whether or not I did something positive towards that direction. So it doesn't have to be I did everything, but if I exercised or if I did yoga, any action, I can put a marble in the jar. And what it really demonstrates is that these little things add up and you don't have to be perfect, but everything you do um, constructively really counts. So I'm far from perfect. <laughs> I don't follow my own recommendations all the time, but um, I found it's really helpful when I do those things because I feel better. And are there things that are detrimental to the levels of calcium ATPase in our body? Are there things that we should refrain from doing or at least lessen? Yes, there definitely are. And probably the biggest, easiest thing to identify is high blood sugar. And I know it's kind of a broken record. Everybody knows high blood sugar is not a great thing. Um, but just specifically in terms of calcium ATPase, the blood sugar, the blood, the sugar in the blood actually attaches itself to the calcium ATPase enzyme and disables it. So by having high blood sugar, you're disabling your calcium ATPase, which has impact throughout your body. And of course, there's different approaches to maintaining healthy blood sugar levels. There's the keto, paleo, um, Mediterranean, but also at the end of the day, if you're somehow able to pay attention to the number of carbohydrates you have at a particular meal, for example, if your main dish has rice, you may think just having half of the bread serving and no soda and no dessert, little changes like that can keep your blood sugar in check 
which again is so crucial for calcium ATPase. The other main area where you, your actions can make a difference is in reducing your exposure to toxins. And kind of a fundamental area that's relevant in America is pesticides because they're used on just about everything. Um, I know the UAE has very strict requirements about pesticide, but um, just in general, when you, can, when you can buy it, organic food is the best. Um, there's also a lot of different chemicals in sunscreens you use and fire retardant clothing. There's just a, a lot of different toxins and to the extent that you can reduce your exposure to those because all of those actually have specifically been looked at as calcium ATPase reducers. So for example, mercury, which is in tuna grade sushi, has actually been shown to actually inhibit calcium ATPase. So in my book, I list a wide number of toxins. What they all have in common is not that theoretically they're bad for you, but actually <laughs> they are bad for your calcium ATPase, which is reason enough to try to reduce your exposure to them. Do you recommend any supplements or do you believe in supplements to make a difference in this sense? So most of the compounds that stimulate calcium ATPase are, are easily um, available in the foods you eat, such as vitamin E um, and almonds and different other different fruits and vegetables. But there's two supplements that I take on a regular basis. One is taurine, which is just an amino acid, but it's hard to get the therapeutic dose just from eating meat and so forth. So taurine, what it does is it stimulates calcium ATPase. And it's really a great thing to pair with caffeine because what caffeine does, it triggers a rise in calcium, which is what makes you feel energetic, awake, et cetera. But what you need is something to help make sure the calcium levels are brought down to baseline. And more importantly, that there's calcium pumped back into these storage vesicles. Otherwise, you might get that kind of overwired feeling where you feel really depleted. So taurine, uh, 500 milligrams a day, um, I take every day. The other uh, thing I take is alpha lipoic acid, which um, in addition to supporting your calcium ATPase levels has a lot of other positive effects in the body in terms of weight, in terms of heart. So for me, I just take um, taurine and alpha lipoic acid. You can make an arg argument for taking more, but for me, that's what I take. Okay. And why do you think, this might be a strange question, but why do you think the whole topic around calcium ATPase has taken such a long time to come to light? I mean, that's a really good question. And there's likely not a simple answer, but I think what really has happened, there's kind of been three different forks in the road. One is kind of the environment, environmentalist that have looked at toxins and calcium ATPase. The other is scientists that have looked at the health effects of low calcium ATPase. And then there's the natural healers slash drug companies that have looked at what stimulates calcium ATPase. But for whatever reason, 
they've never all come together and have been completely off the general public's uh, radar, and including off of the medical community's, community's radar. But I'm convinced that this is the beginning of a turning point in that because calcium ATPase is crucial to every single cell in the body and is responsible for a lot of the diseases that we all encounter. Amazing. And just for, for our listeners to understand and maybe to give a little sneak preview of what's to come, what are sort of the things that you're, you're up to now, researching now, or, or what's to come in the year ahead? Sure. So what's really exciting is that now the researchers slash pharmaceutical companies are focusing in on pharmaceuticals that stimulate this enzyme calcium ATPase. And in particular, I'm involved with a company called Neurodon that has a has found a compound that stimulates calcium ATPase. And what's been great, it's been tested by researchers, for example, at Mount Sinai, at uh, Northwestern, at University of Texas and Southwestern. And now actually we're working with a Harvard professor. And what's wonderful is that this compound in animal studies has been shown in Alzheimer's to prevent neuron loss and memory loss and Parkinson's to prevent dyskinesia, which is the shaking, um, and obesity and diabetes to normalize blood sugar levels. So we're kind of one, one part of the ocean of people that are now focusing in on that. But, but one more kind of fun point I'll say is that these researchers planted a chip in overweight mice, and it was a wireless chip. And what the chip did was stimulate calcium ATPase. And they did this for like 10 or 20 minutes. And as it turned out, the metabolism of the mice increased like 600% and they burned fat. So that's just, you know, that's not, we're probably not gonna have chips implanted in us. But what that does show is the importance of calcium ATPase in terms of metabolism and health. But there's a lot of different things going on. And, and what I'm involved in is one, you know, one drop in the ocean. But that it's all coming down the, the pikeway. But I guess what I want to say is that in the meantime, we know those drugs are coming. In the meantime, there's things we can do and things we can avoid to try to optimize our levels. And, you know, ideally, hopefully we'll be able to take a pill. But in the meantime, we should do whatever we can to protect our calcium ATPase. And if you were to recommend one step for our listeners to take today in order to do that, just the easiest and most accessible sort of step to take, what would it be? I guess that would be related to diet because that's something we do every single day. So the two main components of that would be to avoid eating a lot of sugar, flour, um, carbohydrates, regularly at a particular meal doesn't mean for a celebration you can't do that but on a daily basis you should be aware that you shouldn't eat a lot of sugar or white flour etc at a particular meal so that's one thing that's pretty easy to be aware of the second thing is to try to include those foods on a daily basis that are good for calcium ATPase and it's pretty simple, berries, nuts, 
vegetables, fruits. And those are all choices you can just build into your day, regardless if you have a dinner out with friends, you can still plan to have berries, nuts, tomatoes, et cetera, with your other meals. So food is something that happens every single day. Um, and you can make choices with that, you know, three or four times a day. So I would try to make good choices as much as possible to support your calcium ATPase. And what's the effect of, I was just thinking about this, like what's the effect of stress on calcium ATPase, especially now that, you know, all of us are going through such a hard time around the world and, and stress levels are probably at an all-time high. It's, it's yeah. really kind of fascinating. Um, some of the studies that have been done in animal studies, they've looked at mice that they purposely put in a situation where it's all male. So it's only male mice. And what happens in that situation is there's certain mice that become the dominant mice. And then down the chain, there's kind of the, the weaker mice that end up having wounds and problems and all sorts of things. And what they did was actually look at the calcium ATPase levels in the dominant mice versus the, the, the mice at the bottom of the uh, totem pole. And what they found is that the mice at the bottom of the totem pole had like 50% less calcium ATPase levels than the dominant mice. So that's in animals. Another really interesting study was done in humans. And you may not be aware there's a syndrome that's actually called the broken heart syndrome. And what happens is that people that undergo a really stressful event, for example, people that have been married 50 years whose husbands die, their heart actually goes through these symptoms of heart failure and heart dysfunction that are real, they have to be treated. So researchers were interested if calcium ATPase played a role. And what they determined was that the calcium ATPase levels in these women, it was primarily women, in the hearts of these women that experienced these heart failure symptoms, which are real, they're not psychosomatic, all had reduced calcium ATPase levels in their heart. So the conclusion of the study was that the stress caused by the loss of their loved ones ended up resulting in reduced calcium ATPase levels in their heart, which is what triggered the problems with their heart function. So stress clearly has a role in your calcium ATPase levels. And that you know, that can be all sorts of things. Whatever in particular causes you stress, it's a great thing to have things built into your life to counterbalance that. Yeah, and I think all the other things that you've recommended in terms of meditation, exercise, a healthy diet, all contribute to uh, better mental as well as physical well-being. Yeah, and I think sometimes people get a little bit caught up in the sense there's only particular activities that you can do. I mean, meditation is clearly something that's wonderful. It's something I do on a daily basis that, you know, universally seems to help people, but you kind of have to start with where you are. And if simply taking a few deep breaths calms you down or taking a walk or watching, you know, a funny video, you kind of just have to start with where you are and whatever you know, a hot bath, whatever you kind of know deep down 
helps you feel less stressed, even if it's not something official like meditation or yoga, you know, it's definitely a place to start. So I encourage people that aren't quite ready to make that kind of commitment to just kind of pay attention to themselves and um, find just kind of other ways that might work that aren't so intimidating that help relieve their stress. Yeah, I think you're right. I think when it comes down to meditation, yoga, certain exercises, it might be very intimidating or overwhelming to get into. But, you know, the trick is to just do whatever you can at that very moment. If you can spend two minutes focusing on your breath and with your eyes closed, seated somewhere, that's already a fantastic start. And if you can do that regularly, even better. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I'm just, what's coming to mind is a particular author that had an impact on me, which was basically take five breaths and take five seconds for the inhalation, hold it for five seconds, and then release the breath for five seconds and do that five times. And just something as simple as that can really be beneficial and um, helpful in terms of just the way you feel. And we can all do it. Yeah, it's, it's, but it's not intimidating all you have to do. I could even get my husband to do it who's, you know, not into this stuff. But, you know, when he's stressed out, I'm like, okay, hold on. Let's just take five breaths. And it's something that's not intimidating to him. And guess what? It helps. Absolutely. Where can people find you online? And the second question is, where can people find your book, The Calcium Connection? Sure. So the easiest place to find me online is Brundy Brody at brundybrody.com. And so it's kind of a, a little complicated name. So it's B-R-U-N-D-E is the first name. The last name is Brody. It's B-R-O-A-D-Y. So brundybrody.com. I'm also on Facebook under the same name and also on Instagram. In terms of buying the book, I'm, you know, if you go into Amazon or Barnes and Noble or any of the traditional booksellers, um, my book is available. It's coming out April 6th. And um and even beyond the book, the website will continue to have the latest updates and research and recipes and tips. And I also have a great newsletter that kind of goes into detail about different topics such as cancer, brain health, you know, children, uh, environmentalist issues. So I have this newsletter that comes out every two weeks that I think really kind of brings the science of calcium ATPase down to practical issues. And I try to make it a really useful resource for people trying to figure out how calcium ATPase affects them individually. Fantastic. Fantastic. I can't wait for the book to come out. I also um, have been on your website a few times and follow you on Instagram and, and the information that you share, uh, the articles that you've published and uh, your posts are all extremely educational, helpful and inspirational. So I suggest everyone out there to, uh, to give Brundy a follow, uh, to subscribe to her newsletter, to check out her website, but most importantly, to buy the book, 
when it comes out. And when it does, we will definitely share all the information around it. Brandy, thank you so much for being here with us today. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Stephen. I really, I'm really passionate about it. So I'm glad I had the opportunity to share what I know. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay.